And now, the BC Food and Wine Radio Network presents Anthony Gizmondi and Casey Wilson. This is BC Food and Wine Radio, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Now, here's Anthony and Casey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. It's a busy one. We want to get started right away. Uh, Casey and I are going to look at the challenge of matching wine to some foods known to be difficult to pair with any wines, but we'll come up with some suggestions. Hot Chocolate Vancouver 2021 is on until February 14th, and we talk with Mark Lieberman of Mink Chocolates to discuss how it will work with COVID-19 regulations. And uh, we continue our series, courtesy of Valley First. We want to speak with prominent BC wine folks. Today we'll speak with Heidi Noble. She's the proprietor and winemaker at Joie Winery, uh, Joie Farm. And uh, we're going to talk about the past, the future, and uh, what's next for this highly acclaimed Naramata-based winery. Finally, uh, and coming up next, we open the show with Steve Moriarty. Of course, he's the wine director at Save On Foods. We're going to talk about grocery shopping uh, in a pandemic, and we're going to get some Valentine's Day and Super Bowl wine suggestions and food to go for these, uh, well, they're going to be fun annual events. All that and more coming up next on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. I'm Tony Gismondi with Casey Wilson, and we'll be right back. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. This year, be local with Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Find a wine that celebrates local as much as the holidays. Whether it's fireside or turkey side, Save On Foods has that perfect complement to your celebration. Browse more than 1,200 wines from over 180 wineries, the largest selection of BCVQA wines in the world. Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Browse the entire collection online at saveonfoods.com wine and get ready for a local holiday celebration. Barb Holler, owner of Poplar Grove Winery in the Okanagan. I see world-class wines being grown here. I see the potential for growth in the wine industry, in ecotourism, in everything that the Valley has to offer. And on her winery. It is the best job in the world. I'm in the sunshine all the time. I'm looking out over the lake. There's the birds. There's the crew. Poplar Grove, available at private fine wine stores. Join the wine club at poplargrove.ca. Watermark Beach Resort in Asoyuz is taking some time to refresh and renew for the upcoming season. Renovations are underway at the restaurant, but takeout is still available seven days a week. Book now for spring and summer travel to avoid disappointment and discover the South Okanagan good life at the Okanagan Resort that defines easy living. Visit watermarkbeachresort.com for full details and keep up to date on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson. Welcome back to the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. I'm Tony Gismondi. I'm Casey Wilson. Uh, our next guest is Steve Moriarty. He's the wine director at uh, Save On Foods. We've been talking to Steve uh, throughout the pandemic, and we're back with him today. Uh, and I'm going to start with that, Steve. Uh, uh, when you initially opened these stores and uh, did the big first run, you were able to uh, uh, serve wine, like have wine tasted in the stores. That's not happening now. Has that changed the way your people interact with customers, or how, how are you overcoming that? Hi, Tony. It's a, it's a great question, and unfortunately... 
that's a very difficult uh, problem that we have. Is one of the cornerstones of our business was <clears throat> was our <clears throat> familiarity commitment with uh, pouring wines, and we had a lot of fun with not only just the the, the sampling folks or the tasting folks, but wine principals, winery uh, owners, and uh, winemakers. And unfortunately, it's hard to replicate that whole experience. And and unfortunately, we end up using a lot of makeshift uh, communication skills. Is well, you remember what this used to taste like? Well, now it tastes better. And take our word for it. <laughs> and and there's a lot of a lot of innuendo that that we're sharing today. You know, we can't wait till we get back to that opportunity because over the last, especially the last year, is is that we've seen some d- dynamic changes in 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 some of the wines made in BC, and there's been some yeah. incredible new ones that have come to the market, and we. We just haven't been able to put them in people's mouths. So you need a lot of yeah. trust now when you when you uh, go into um, save on. I, I think so. Yes, I think so. Well, we, you know, it's the kind of thing that Casey and I we've been dealing with through the pandemic, and I think because we've been around so long and done it, we actually have memories and stories and times of being in places which help us to tell the story. But of course, we don't have the latest info that sort of intel that we can get when we're on property so uh, i understand those challenges uh but you know what we got a couple of big dates coming up we've got super bowl and valentine's approaching maybe we'll start with super bowl because uh you've got plenty of takeout for that and wines uh any wine in mind for super bowl time well you know um <clears throat> just have a quick quick uh, segue there is, is, is that what could go better with a super bowl party than to buy a box of BC, uh, 100% BC wine. And, and I can't think of anything better than the super, traditional Super Bowl scenario is hands up red or white from Monte Creek Winery. You know, hands up to celebrate maybe refereeing or celebrate the fact that we your team has lost or won. Uh, I think it's a perfect <laughs> segue. I think it's perfect. And uh, I know at uh, that small celebration that will be going on in my house for Super Bowl, because, of course, we have – uh, hands up, uh, red will be the feature wine on the table. Okay, uh, I I went through your. Uh, by the way, folks, you can search for these on uh, Save On Food site uh, by uh, just typing in wine as you go looking for uh, different products. But I found a wine that I thought was perfect for Super Bowl. You'll know this wine, Steve. It's the Road Thirteen Cabernet Merlot. Which was twenty three ninety nine. It's marked down to eighteen ninety nine. You're giving it away. I love that. I don't know how you can afford to do that, but keep on doing it. Uh, this is a sensational wine from the South Okanagan. The perfect blend. Uh, soft tannins. Uh, fun to sip. Uh, you can have it with or without food. And uh, of course, uh, watching the Super Bowl game, it would it would go down pretty smooth. Yeah, great choice, Anthony. I mean that uh, that particular skew um, is uh, one of our best selling red wines. Um, bar none, week in and week out, uh, we call it our most reliable red wine seller that we have. And we're proud to sell that one. You don't see it in a lot of stores, and uh, we're, we're, extremely, we're extremely happy that the consumer just loves that wine, and we do really, really well with it. I know Casey wants to get over to Valentine's Day. Just before that, I have a white wine because, of course, many uh, people uh, enjoy white wine as well uh, who will be watching the Super Bowl this one is so much fun. It's called Gobsmack. The Cyclops love uh, the label, I, I believe, designed by the daughter of the winemaker. Uh, it's just a fantastic, uh, w- what we would call an aromatic white blend from B.C., sort of Alsace in style. 
Pinot Oxawa, Muscat, uh, Schoenberger, and Riesling. So uh, perfect for Asian or spicy food, uh, curries, that sort of thing. If you're having that during the Super Bowl, gobsmacked, uh, $17.29. Uh, that's a pretty fine price for a delicious bottle of BC wine. Well, I'm wondering uh, if you have a Zin for pulled pork. Uh, we have a number of Zins, and um, actually uh, they're not as prominent in the bc what i think bc market wine selection uh but we have a number of them uh currently and uh they're they're always kind of hanging around in the background you don't have a lot of demand for them and i and but the ones that we have um i think they, they've got their opportunity in their place and uh um I'm, I'm sure that at a super bowl party that it would fit 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 this perfect yeah well in a skill in okanagan has it out of their famous series of uh of uh well, I think they call them Discovery Wines. I think there's Invendel and Russ Wine Company has been making an interesting Zin as well down in the South Okanagan. So, yeah, they're good choices as well. Uh, yeah. Valentine's Day, Casey, what are you drinking? Well, I think you should drink low-alcohol wines. I don't think they should be big, powerful hits. I think you want to enjoy your food and the evening. What do you recommend, Steve, for a low-alcohol? Well, you know, I, I have to be, be, be really candid is that I'm biased towards um, at, at, at Valentine's, is, is, is a, we'll be we'll be indulging in some sparkling wine, and uh, we have a number of sparkling that that really appeal to us. We also have the the, the big red traditional. I I got to be candid is is that I will will indulge in uh, one faith certitude for their, uh, for that night uh, to some degree. But we'll start the we'll start the afternoon or evening off with uh, with uh, with a with a sparkling. We'll probably uh, the uh, time. Time brute um, will fit right right into our uh, kind of our, our plans for the day, and um, looking forward to that would be my choice, and that's what we'll be doing uh, on Valentine's. That sounds good. We're speaking, by the way, with uh, Steve Morier. He's the wine director at Save On Foods, talking about Valentine's Day. Casey, are you drinking uh, uh, a, a white sparkling wine or a rosé sparkling wine? Rosé, Tony, and I'm sure yeah, that uh, Steve's got a good variety of rosés. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, last count. Last, oh, sorry, last count. We had about fourteen rosé sparkling uh, British Columbia wines, so we've got a good selection. Yeah, they've been growing actually uh, across uh, in, in marketplaces around the world. The, the rise of rosé just blitzed uh, uh, dry rosé, still rosé, and that has affected what's going on in the sparkling wine market too. I had a look through your rosés. I found one that I really like. Uh, and it's interesting, and this is uh, it's it's one of the things that's kind of cool about shopping now at uh, Save On is that you have so many different wineries representing so many uh, of regions, even outside of the Okanagan, where we all sort of start. But Robin Ridge Flicker is really a delicious uh, rosé wine, and that comes out of uh, the Similkameen Valley, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 1989 a bottle. It's gorgeous wine, perfect pale color, uh, and uh, mostly dry too. More savory, dry style, less sugary style. So really good with food. What about that's kind of that's kind of an unsung hero in our in our in our selection. Very popular. We sell we do very well with that one. But because it's not in the heart of the Okanagan, the consumer has to kind of be reminded that it's there and it's available. I'm glad you you mentioned that one. Very popular, yeah. and the fact that it is crisp and and clean makes it makes it excellent. What about half bottles, Steve? Um, we don't have a large selection of half bottles. We have a few. Um, our consumer 
our profile is more around the, the bottles and, and the boxes, and, and uh, we have some cans now. Uh, but uh, we don't have a lot of half bottles, um, and it's just just the consumer demand in our in our particular marketplace. I love half bottles because well, you can have a couple of different wines. Yeah, exactly. I love magnums because you can have a couple of different wines too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just have right. more. Hey, Steve, while I have you, I have this one sort of burning question about uh, home delivery, like ordering uh, groceries from Savon, getting them home delivered. And it's always about the picking. Should I be worried about who's picking my food or what? what will I get what I would have picked? Or how do you overcome that part of, uh, of home delivery? Uh, in, the, in the home delivery processes is that we've, we've taken extra time to, I would say, train, coach, and mentor our teams that when they pick when they pick products off of our, our, our shelves, is, is, is that, does it meet this standard or expectation? And, and we all want mm-hmm. the best. And we have, a, we have a, a consumer profile that we talk about with that, with that picker. Is, is, is that if it's not the best, if it's not something that you're proud of, if it's not something that you would consume or, or be, be, be proud to share with other folks, then, then don't pick it. Well, uh, Steve, you should be proud of the wines you're selling and the huge selection. Uh, we're just about out of time. we got to run. But uh, what, what about this year? Are you already looking at wines down the road? I mean, maybe we're going to get vaccinated. Things are going to get back to, to a new normal or something slightly different. But will you carry on with the program and expand it as the year goes on? I've never been so excited, Tony. We have uh, Right now we have more new wines in our, in our queue and the lineup to add to our store than we've seen since we opened uh, more than five years ago. I, I'm, and I've had the pleasure of tasting some of these new wines that are in the system. And I'm, I'm ne- I've never been so excited about new varietals or even the new vintages, about the quality and just the experience. I'm, this is, this is going to be a great year for BC VQA wine. Steve Moriarty, Wine Director, Save on Foods. Thanks so much for joining us today on uh, the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. We'll catch up with you soon. Appreciate it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I'm Tony Gizmondi. I'm Casey Wilson. Coming up next, Heidi Noble joins us from Joie Farm Winery. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Save on Foods. In the heart of the Okanagan's Golden Mile Bench, the Kalmana Family Estate Wine Shop is open for wine sales every Monday to Saturday from 11 to 3, with COVID-safe tastings Fridays and Saturdays. For those wishing to shop online, Kalmana is offering complimentary shipping for online orders of six bottles or more through the end of February. Kalmana Family Estate Winery, creating wines of excellence through the blending of art and science. For tasting reservations and more, visit kalmana.ca. If you're a wine lover and you're ready for something new, try a little long-distance therapy. It's the wine club four out of four wine lovers would probably agree on. With 15% off therapy wine, discounted shipping, 20% off regular seasonal rates at the Inn at Therapy Vineyards, access to exclusive library wines, and more. Click therapyvineyards.com and choose your tier and frequency of delivery and sit back and wait as some of the Okanagan's finest is delivered direct to your door. Sign up today at therapyvineyards.com. Hillside Winery is here to serve you, BC. We're offering free shipping across the province on all orders of six bottles or more. Let Hillside deliver direct to your doorstep and give you one less thing to tick off your shopping list. If you're a local, ordering online for pickup is easy and hassle-free. Hillside will happily box up your wines and have them ready and waiting for you. We want to make getting your favorite Hillside wines easy. Find us online at hillsidewinery.ca. 
And now, a BC Food and Wine Radio Spotlight on British Columbia Wineries. Presented with the generous support of the agribusiness financial specialists at Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union. Our next guest is Heidi Noble. She's a proprietor and winemaker at Joie Winery. We're really happy to catch up with her today, uh, courtesy of First Valley. Uh, Heidi, how are you? It's been a long time. I'm great, Tony. How are you doing? Uh, I couldn't be better. I'm excited to talk to you. I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but I think one of the things that I like the best about what's gone on at Joie Farm is who you were and who your partner was, I guess, before you got there. Uh, you were a chef, and you worked in a lot of important restaurants around uh, around Canada, just to name a few. You were at the ROM with Jamie Kennedy, Took in Montreal, Il Giardino. Uh, I love that you were at Bin 942 for one day. Uh, <laughs> mine hearts. <laughs> what vault did you dig that out <laughs> Oh well. You well, know, I don't know, do but I want to know. I want to know why you were only there for one day. No, you don't. I don't think you <laughs> That's do. That's a whole other show, Casey. A whole other show. Yeah. Actually, that would be a yeah. really fun topic one day and bring Andrew Morrison in about sort of that archetypal map of how Vancouver's culinary scene really has informed what has happened with BC wine and vice versa. How totally. the wine has informed the food. Yeah. I'd love yeah. to participate you, in that. It would be fun. Yeah, and uh, and your partner at the time was in a big wine agency. You guys were plugged into international wines, big wines, and what was happening globally. So I guess that's my question. You you <clears throat> seem to me the most prepared people to go to the Okanagan, even if you didn't know anything about running a winery or making wine. But uh, <laughs> would you say would you say it was a, a a good way to start, or would you encourage people to to have that kind of info going in? Absolutely. It was it was our circumstance. Um, both of us had worked on the import um, side of the wine world. My background was culinary, but um, both of us were trained psalms and were working on the import side of the business. So when we entered the wine business, it was a bit ass backwards. We didn't have a whole lot of um, hard winemaking knowledge, but we certainly had incredibly trained palates and a really deeply informed knowledge of um, the Vancouver wine trade, the wine scene, the restaurant scene. And essentially after working, both of us for years uh, in import, you know, we pursued our dream to come to the Okanagan and, and make wine for ourselves. And what informed what we actually started making in 2004 were those huge holes in the market in Vancouver at the time. And that was, specifically for good, dry, European-style rosé, aromatic whites, which just happened to be the history, winemaking history of the Okanagan um, in what was planted as proper winemaking grapes here in the late 70s, which in the early 2000s were being uh, ripped out in a frenzy in a race to plant big reds. Um, yeah. And that's what we started out making, um, fresh white wine, un chardonnay, um, that's what Vancouver really needed. There was no rosé in the market at the time. So that's the very first thing that we made. It was all uh, spec, meaning only restaurants could buy it. Um, it was expensive. Um, it would all land in December and not July. <laughs> so we yeah. had all these clients clamoring before we even made wine for these very specific things. We knew who bought what 
um, where and what quantity. So that's what we made. We took a lot of, not necessarily derelict, but old, older vineyards that had a lot of pedigree and history in the Okanagan that didn't seem to be valued anymore, but were incredibly valuable to us and our restaurant friends. Uh, wines at the time like Vina Esmeralda and Hugo Janti, you know, very much were the hot ticket item at restaurants like Bin 41 and um, Bin 942 that were serving what was pretty radical at the time, that whole small plates movement. It seems funny to speak about that like, like that now, but um, people stopped fine dining in sort of the early 2000s in earnest in Vancouver and everybody was sharing plates. Nobody was having an entree of their own. So wine sales in restaurants had to be very flexible. Um, if you had a four top, everybody was having something different, you know, and only ordered one bottle of wine. That wine had to be able to go with a, a real variety of things. Um, mm-hmm. My formal training was also by two Psalms, uh, Park Hasselfinger and Mark Davidson. And you didn't leave that initial International Sommelier Guild program um, without a love in your heart for Riesling. And Riesling was just the thing um, for that kind of restaurant setting. Um, you know, Riesling and Rosé are definitely every server's friend. You know, those wines are so food-friendly. They're so versatile. So that's what we ended up making. Yeah, that was the genesis, early genesis of the Joie portfolio. And how challenging yeah. was that for consumers that were going to restaurants with Riesling and Rosé, did it take a while before it caught on? Um, you know what? Yes and no. Um, the very first vintage that we made, uh, two restaurant friends and wine trade friends put their credit cards down on the table even before we had finished the very first vintage. And one of those people was Vikram Beach. And Vikram and I did our, our sommelier training together. And Vic said to me, he's like, Heidi, I trust you. You know, I know what you make is going to be delicious. And sure enough, Vic bought the very first, he bought one skin, the very first palette of Noble Blend, Junk Clarides that Marquis bought the other on spec. Um, and Vikram and um, his right hand, Mike, were actually the people that put the Noble Blend out into the world. You could only really get it there. We made such a small quantity of it in the first couple of vintages. And it really helped send an aromatic, proprietary, European-style country wine which is a very unlikely thing to be successful now that I've said that out loud, into the universe. And it became a real yeah. real cult, cult classic. And I think it was so successful because, um, because of that European, not necessarily pedigree, but that tradition of blending. And that blending just leads to a naturally balanced wine, in my winemaking opinion. That, that classic Gentil or Edelsvicker blend, and for the listeners that don't know what an Edelsvicker is, that literally translates from German to English as a noble blend. So, you know, I didn't name that wine after myself. We tried to call the first vintage of noble blend Gentil, but that was against um, European trade laws. So we ended up calling it a noble blend as a pun, and you know, it's an 800-year-old Alsatian tradition. I did not make that up. We just made a really great New World iteration of that. And because it's got the five classic noble varieties of Alsace, and they're very dogmatic about it in Alsace, so it's all you can use, um, we did exactly the same thing. We were, you know, young kids that didn't know how to make wine, but we sure knew a lot about wine. We had really acute, well-trained palates. And so 
I mimicked that that noble blend. I used Gewürztraminer, Riesling, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Oxerwa, and Muska. And, you know, those things weren't very valued by other people up here at the time, but they were incredibly valuable for us. So I kind of took that cue from the old old world, didn't mess with it, you know, certainly didn't reinvent the wheel or learn. I really wanted to, you know, learn to walk before I ran and didn't mess around with that sapage. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in those old world blending traditions and there's a lot of natural balance. So that just expresses itself as tasty. People are like, I don't drink white wine. I don't drink white wine, but I love your noble blend. Yeah, it was a it was a good wine from the start, and sometimes I, I shake my head when I see some of the first wines released by some wineries, wondering you know where are you going to go from there when when you don't start out leading with your best. Uh, I want to ask you something. I think it's kind of interesting. You didn't have a tasting room for I think it was eleven or twelve vintages. Yeah, uh, that's a true story. Uh, then you, you just sold all that wine yeah, to then, our restaurant friends. Yeah, exactly. Then you open a tasting room and. Uh, and now there's a pandemic and you can't taste. And so so in some ways you're back to where you started. But how, how, what's happening at Joie Farm? How are you functioning now today uh, with this pandemic? Oh, it's really interesting. In 2015, I finally had made enough wine to supply all our restaurant clients, all our longtime dedicated private buyers. And um, when I first opened that tasting room, I wasn't exactly sure what was going to happen. Um, we had been closed to the public for 11 years previous to that when we, we started out as a cooking school. And as the winery grew, we couldn't do all those things. <clears throat> so we shut um, the guest house, the cooking school, the long table dinners that we did, grew the winery. And then when I opened a hospitality facility, I just thought it was the Joie superfans that would come. And what was really interesting when I did that is we were absolutely bombarded with people and most, and they weren't the super fans. They came for sure. But I was shocked that, you know, at least 80 or 90% of the people walking through the door had never heard of the brand, you know, all those years in, and that still continues to this day. And we created a real, I think, tourism phenomena um, with the tasting room. And what I had it was certainly more popular than I had ever anticipated the scope of it taking. And what I thought would happen is that this really lovely opportunity to gauge with, you know, wine lovers and people that wanted to buy wine, where I think what's happened to wine tourism over the past five years is it's become more of a tourism activity more than it's become about the wine. So we really struggled with our initial well, massive popularity as a destination to actually engage with our guests because we were such a popular destination. And where we found ourselves last year in 2020, when we we could only open on a very limited basis with reserved, more bespoke tastings, is we found we actually loved that because we were actually able to take the time to spend with people. And I think our guests enjoyed the experience more um, because it was more engaged, it was more intimate, they had a more authentic experience, and we enjoyed ourselves more. And we found that the quality of guests, um, and by quality I mean um, it, people that really were into the experience and weren't just passing by, um, 
I think it's something we're not going to go back from. So, you know, COVID kind of forced those protocols forced us into a more bespoke tasting and a pre-booked reserved experience that created a lot of intention and uh, we'll have to continue that this year. It looks like um, because of the uh, COVID protocols continuing but I think by choice, we'll, we'll continue with a lot of this into the future. Um, Heidi, one last thing. We're not sad thing. about it. <laughs> yeah. One last thing is mention your cookbook, because I know that our listeners would Aww. be very interested in getting a hold of one. Um, the cookbook's called Menus from an Orchard Table. Um, there's still some circulating and floating out there in the world. And if you can get your hands on one, it's a... Uh, it's a really lovely collection of, of menus. Um, uh, as I mentioned very briefly, just starting out, we couldn't afford to, to build a fancy winery building and production facility right away. In fact, we couldn't even afford to plant our own vineyard right off the bat. So we ran long table dinners at Joie Farm well before it was the cool thing to do. And um, they were incredible dinners. They were outside um, multi-course affairs that really explored a new terroir for me, not just in wine, but in, in local ingredients. And that cookbook is a compilation of all those menus, photographs um, of the producers, and stories of the early days of Joie Farm. Heidi, uh, it's just fantastic to have this time with you today uh, on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. Now, uh, we know that you'll be opening. Will you open later in the spring uh, under the new conditions? I think we're going to open that. Well, obviously, we're standing standing by. It's a top of mind today because yeah. we're just onboarding some, some new software to make this more efficient and easier for us this year where our actual reservation system will be tied into um, our POS with the tasting room and our wine club, it's all becoming one moving unit, which is very exciting for us. So we're thinking of uh, Easter's early this year. And if um, the province and Dr. Dr. Henry allows for it, we'll open softly uh, by reservation for Easter um, and then be open in earnest probably in May. Um, And that can be done right off of our website very shortly. You can make yourself a reservation. Yeah. Schwafarm.com. Heidi. Thanks so much. It was fantastic. We'll catch up with you soon. I hope we can meet in person and uh, have a picnic. Uh, I miss, yes, and I miss you guys. I would love to catch up by either in the city or up here in the Okanagan. Sounds great. I can't wait to try your Thai or Indian curry. Okay. Sounds delicious. Heidi Noble, she's the proprietor and winemaker at Joa Winery. We're out of time. We've got to take a quick break. More coming up next on the BC Food & Wine Radio Network. Join us next time for another Spotlight on British Columbia Wineries. Presented with the generous support of the Agribusiness Financial Specialists at Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union. This year, be local with Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Find a wine that celebrates local as much as the holidays. Whether it's fireside or turkey side, Save On Foods has that perfect complement to your celebration. Browse more than 1,200 wines from over 180 wineries. The largest selection of BCVQA wines in the world. Wines of British Columbia at Save On Foods. Browse the entire collection online at saveonfoods.com wine and get ready for a local holiday celebration. 
the upper bench of BC's Similkameen Valley, a special place that's the source of some of Canada's best wines. Here, nestled in a sun-laden stony corner of the mountains, you'll find Clos de Soleil Winery. Clos de Soleil blends age-old Bordeaux varieties and a unique Similkameen minerality for wines that are elegant, age-worthy, distinctively terroir-driven. Visit them by appointment or purchase their wines online at clodesoleil.ca with free shipping offered to all BC and Alberta customers on orders of six bottles or more. Location, location, location. If you've made up your mind to finally take that big step and move to the beautiful Okanagan, keep in mind that you don't have to do it alone. The right real estate agent can make all the difference. Let Sean Everest of Remax Kelowna be your trusted advisor as you embark on this exciting new chapter. I'm Sean Everest. I raised my family here and you can too. Visit seaneverest.com and let me help you on your move. And welcome to the Okanagan. I'm sure you're going to love it. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson. Welcome back to the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. I'm Tony Gismondi. I'm Casey Wilson. Uh, our next guest is just in time for, I think, it'll be the coldest weekend of the year, maybe the coldest week of the year coming up. We could all use a little hot chocolate. Mark Lieberman is the president and founder of Mink Chocolates, and he's on today to talk about Hot Chocolate Vancouver 2021. It's not a festival anymore. We can't do that. But there are things we can do, and sipping hot chocolate is one of them. Uh, Mark, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, maybe we'll start with the event, Hot Chocolate Vancouver, 39 vendors, 87 drinks. It's morphed a bit, uh, obviously, due to uh, the pandemic and uh, the regulations from uh, our health authorities. Can you tell us how it might evolve this year differently than uh, it has been? Yeah, absolutely. So this year uh, we're discouraging uh, groups and uh, we're not going to have the walking tours and the printed walking maps uh, that vendors uh, historically have uh, given out. Uh, There is an interactive map uh, online, uh, which you can also access uh, from your smartphone. And some of the other things um, uh, like classes and uh, the pre and post uh, happenings and tastings and art showings, uh, those are not going to happen this year because we do want to adhere uh, to all of the the provincial uh, protocols, um, but you can still mm-hmm. come out and uh, support local business and uh, and enjoy hot chocolate, like you say, on the, one of the coldest weekends of the year. And you're not offering, or are you offering, some indoor seating? I know some of the places are offering that. At my store downtown, we do have limited seating. Uh, we've reduced our occupancy by a little more than fifty percent. And, uh, but a lot of vendors uh, uh, are, are not, and uh, that is a decision that each one uh, within the guidelines and regulations uh, was able to make for themselves. Um, the most important thing to know is that uh, every drink that every vendor is doing this year uh, is designed uh, for takeout. So if you don't have uh, seating inside, uh, it will be available for takeout. Well, Mark, you've always had such unique hot chocolate drinks and presentations, so I guess you've had to cut that back a bit, but of course it doesn't affect the flavor of anything you're doing. And what are you doing? Well, this year I'm doing a uh, a drink called uh, Machu Picchu, please, and uh, it's a 72% single-origin Peruvian dark chocolate ganache, and I'm serving it with uh, a drink from uh, uh, a beverage from that part of the world, uh, Pisco. And uh, it's, uh, it's been very well received uh, so far. 
But you're right. Uh, at the end of every festival, I start thinking about the, the next year. And I did have something uh, tremendous planned. But, of course, last year in February, we didn't think that uh, we would still be under these circumstances. So it's going to have to wait till next year for the really, really extravagant things. Good. We'll, we, mm. we'll really look forward to that. Mark, uh, I thought of, I wanted to ask you, what is it that we don't know? Or what is, what is the thing that maybe consumers least know about chocolate that they should know? <laughs> uh, chocolate is good for you uh, in moderation like everything <laughs> good else answer. in life uh, yeah. the, dark, the darker the better uh, there's antioxidants, there's flavanols uh, um, there are uh, better things in it uh, than you would uh, come to expect and uh, everybody should have a little bit and, yeah, and what, tell us like about that. the percentages of chocolate because when you go out to buy chocolate it starts at, what, 70% and goes up from there? So dark chocolate typically is considered uh, to start at 70% and can go all the way actually to 100% uh, where you're dealing with uh, pure uh, raw cacao, for instance. Um, but a lot of people like white chocolate, which, of course, isn't really chocolate. It's, uh, it's cocoa butter. Um, uh, milk chocolate uh, still very, very popular. And, uh, but I think as, as people's uh, palates uh, become refined and, uh, and they experience uh, finely crafted chocolate, uh, I think they start to uh, appreciate a darker chocolate uh, over time. Yes, and what is the percentage of just cocoa that you buy, like fries cocoa? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I like the packaging, but I haven't uh, personally seen any in, uh, in quite some time. I think fries is uh, probably in the 60 to 70% range. Okay, I've never been sure about that. Uh, I, I just should mention for our listeners, uh, uh, hot chocolate, uh, uh, the hot chocolate, uh, I want to say fest, the Hot Chocolate Vancouver is taking place this year uh, and you can go to hotchocolatefest.com. It's a bit confusing, but that's the old website for to pick up all of uh, locations and uh, how it's going to work at the uh, all the different vendors. So there's a lot of uh, full information there for you uh, to enjoy your hot chocolate over the next few days, which which sound like they're going to be cold. Mark, I want to get back uh, mm -hmm. to the store. Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, chocolates are, are uh, always big sellers on those days. What have you got going for Valentine's that uh, that the hopeless men in this city might uh, take advantage of? Uh, we've got all out this year. We've got a selection of hand-painted hearts uh, with some uh, really you know, some tremendous flavors. Uh, for the first time, I am doing quince and persimmon wow. in chocolate. Oh, wow. And yeah, these are fruits uh, that were grown uh, uh, on Vancouver Island, and uh, uh, we just finished making that, and it was spectacular. I've never had uh, uh, either of those in chocolate before, and uh, we were playing around with it a couple of months ago, and uh, uh, it's really going to be special this year. And, yeah, it's a great uh, combination of flavors. That's what it strikes me as the, the quince with the chocolate. That, that could be very interesting. You know, every year there are some uh, traditional things, uh, uh, caramels, uh, raspberries, that sort of thing. But uh, I always like to step out a little bit and try something uh, different. So, the, yeah, the quince and persimmon this year is going to be special. So, do, do I want to know about the psychology of men at Valentine's Day? <laughs> like, what's the average? What's the average box of chocolates they buy and? And uh, I'm sure if I went in there, I'd be pretty envious of some of the girlfriends, what they receive. 
Well, I'll tell you, uh, there's a very small percentage of people that will plan ahead, uh, but it really, um, every year is the same thing. We see it all at the last minute. Uh, people running in with flowers, with lingerie, with jewelry, <laughs> with wine, looking for chocolate to complete it. Money's no object. They'll take it out of the display case. If it's been there for a month and it's dusty, they don't care if it's the last one. They it doesn't need it. matter. Men are so hopeless. <laughs> well, you know what it reminds me of? Mother's Day at um, FedEx, because I've been in there. You know, the day before Mother's Day. I mean, they're lined up. It's very funny. <laughs> True story. True story. Well, actually, Mark, I, I haven't tried this, but you, uh, Casey said, how would you describe them? You've got a product that describes men on Valentine's Day. It says, oh, baby, romance. That's that's, that's right. what they have on their mind. But you've got a great – tell us a little bit about this package. It looks cool. So this is a uh, wooden gift box, and it holds uh, six of our handcrafted uh, chocolate bars. And uh, it's wrapped with a, uh, a box wrap uh, that evokes the, uh, the sentiment uh, for the occasion. So, of course, uh, there are other uh, times of the year where it's uh, appropriate, but uh, Valentine's really is uh, uh, where we sell an awful lot of those. Yeah. It's probably not relevant, but how long can you keep a chocolate bar? Do people like? Does it go off, or how should we keep it? And how long could we keep it if we had to have it hanging around? So, chocolate reacts uh, to heat, light, and humidity. So, um, you always want to consume it with uh, within the best before date uh, on on the package. Uh, but if you put it into an airtight container, put it in the uh, vegetable crisper, let's say, of your fridge, because there's a dehumidifier in there, uh, you can extend the shelf life a little bit. Um, obviously, if it's uh, exposed to uh, any of those uh, heat, light, or humidity, it will go off uh, faster. Well, I keep mine in my wine climatizer. Nice. Yes, and I, <laughs> like, I feel really nice. good about I take good care of my wines and my chocolate. And chocolate and wine, uh, that, you know what? A little marzipan and a nice Cabernet. Uh, couldn't ask for anything better. Wow. Our guest is Mark Lieberman. He's the president and founder of Mink Chocolates. Uh, we're talking about Valentine's Day and uh, hot chocolate Vancouver. Well, do, do sales normally go up when it gets cold, Mark? Certainly goes up for hot chocolate. We will sell more uh, in the winter than we will in the summer. Uh, we'll take our hot chocolates and we'll, we'll uh, blend them and do them uh, frozen uh, with ice uh, in the summertime. Uh, but certainly, uh, if it's sunny and brisk outside, uh, that's when we're really going to be busiest. The hot chocolate Vancouver. We always hot chocolate Vancouver 2021. I'm going to call it instead of the hot chocolate festival is available until February 14th. And then, of course, Mark, you start uh, the 14th. I just can't imagine how busy you are with two events happening. <laughs> we're we're going to be going full out, absolutely. And uh, especially under these uh, challenging circumstances, because, uh, you know, uh, like most vendors, uh, we're experiencing uh, reduced hours and uh, reduced staffing levels because uh, um, there are still a lot of people that, uh, that aren't venturing out. Uh, social distancing has made it uh, a little bit more difficult uh, for businesses such as ours uh, to accommodate all of our guests. Um, but, you know, as soon as uh, Valentine's in, we start planning Easter. So really until summer. Mark, uh, real pleasure to talk with you today and to our listeners. Uh, hotchocolatefest.com. Go to that site and check out the Instagram online photo contest. You can win over $950 
worth of gift certificates from the chocolate makers and the cafes participating in Hot Chocolate Vancouver 2021. Thanks, Mark. Catch up with you soon. You bet. Take Thank care. you. Thanks. You're listening to the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. I'm Tony Gismondi. I'm Casey Wilson. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with some difficult wine pairings. There's more to come. This is the BC Food and Wine Radio Network, presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. The Modest Butcher Restaurant at Mount Boucherie Estate Winery in West Kelowna is ready for the joy and confusion that this upside-down holiday season is sure to bring. They've got your takeout covered for every occasion with a brand-new menu featuring your favorite modest dishes from 2020. They've even added some brand-new items designed for the nights when you just want to stuff your face with pizza and wings. For all you need to know on ordering, check out ModestButcher.com. Have the extraordinary organic wines of Summerhill Pyramid Winery in the pristine Okanagan Valley delivered to your door. When you become an organic ambassador, a portion of every purchase you make at Summerhill goes back into your account, which you can use towards future purchases anytime. Share the love with your friends to earn even more credits. Find out more about Summerhill Pyramid Winery's organic ambassador program and order online by visiting summerhill.bc.ca. The bear, the fish, the root, and the berry at Spirit Ridge is offering up some good times. Like afternoon happy hours, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m., with special pricing on platters for two and local wines and draft. Brunch, anyone? Enjoyed every Saturday and Sunday from 8 to 3.30. You can even take the good times home with family meals for four prepared weekly to go. From a complete turkey dinner to lasagna and roast beef dishes. For details, including reservations and menus, visit bearfishrootberry.com. Now back to BC Food and Wine Radio. Here's Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson. Welcome back to the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. I'm Tony Gismondi. I'm Casey Wilson. Uh, We're going to close out the show today talking a little bit about uh, wine pairings. Uh, always a controversial subject uh, from the get-go, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, but we're going to talk today about some challenging pairings uh, with what? With the, uh, what would I say, with the precursor that uh, you you can you can actually have anything you want with any wine you want. Right. I think, Very I think that's pretty clear these days. But I like to say to people that there are things that improve uh, the situation. So yeah, you can, you can have Coca-Cola with your, uh, with your Cabernet if, if that's what you desire, but that's not, it's not the best pairing. No, it's it's much better. It doesn't set off the wine. So, so for me, Casey, I don't know for me, the best pairing is something that improves the food and improves the wine. It's never easy to achieve, but it's worth looking for. Yeah. And so some of the best pairings that aren't wine are like, uh, Milk and cookies. Tony, what would you say one of yours at home is that? Spaghetti and meatballs. Spaghetti and meatballs, exactly. <laughs> what a pairing. What a pairing. Yeah, Don't change it. Peanut butter and jam. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are classic ones, a lot of them even from your youth. But uh, you sort of, as soon as you hear that, that <clears throat> I like to use those because they they tell the story better than than trying to match a, a wine, a food and wine together to get you to understand why you would want to do that. But uh, well, you know, so one thing I always remember: what, what's bothering you about it? 
exactly. One thing I remember about you, Tony, when we first got together was talking about, because we went out to a lot of dinners and many of them started with soup. And you were never too keen on soup and wine matchings. Yeah. Well, I have a saying for all of those, for the really super tough ones. It's uh, I don't mind trying them if it's your wine, but when it's my wine, I don't want to do that. Uh, what is the issue with soup? People think it's all about flavor. Not at all. I say it's all about temperature. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, trying, I think if you can, as close as you can get the soup to the wine temperature, which probably isn't good for most soups, the better off you're going to be with the match. But having like super hot soup with a cold white wine or a cold rosé, you know, it's Doesn't just tough. Doesn't really work. But yeah, there are... it's not in, even the flavor. No. In the summer, though, you've got cold soup. So does that make it easier? Yeah, that's... Of course, I think that makes it easier for, for many things. Um, I mean, you can you can overcome a lot of these with, uh, you know, very uh, specific matching. But let's say you have a super spicy soup. So what is the issue there? Well, the issue is not the soup, it's the spice. And we know that something with a bit of residual sugar, something a little bit sweeter, uh, can temper the spicing. So that's that's the kind of thing. But, you know, which wine and which spicy soup, that's something you can spend your life experimenting on. There's no single answer to that. But you can go down that route. It's a little bit about... Uh, you know, you got to have a <coughs> work a bit of science in there. So how can you temper spice? You can temper acidity. How can you temper sugar? Uh, you know, how can you balance? Because in the end, it's all about balance. When you have great balance, you usually have a pretty good match. And there's nothing like but, a perfect matching. Yeah. Uh, well, let's start with something like, uh, uh, well, artichokes. I, I, I almost give up on those. Although I think if they're, if they're baked in the oven... Uh, I find those to be the least offensive. But artichokes really have a tendency to make wines taste metallic. Yes. Uh, which is a, which is something I don't like. Maybe people love that. That's why they have artichokes with wine. But when I have a pasta and artichokes, uh, it usually kills the wine. So I either enjoy the dish or I enjoy the wine, but I, <laughs> I don't do them together. Asparagus is different, though. I've learned to live with that. Do you have a favorite for asparagus? or Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Uh, why? I don't know why you pick Pinot Grigio, like Northern Italian. Yes. Pinot Gris, Pinot right. Grigio. And skinny. I, I, to me, they're both very uh, fresh. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good pick. I, I like uh, Young Semillon. So uh, the Australians always say Young Semillon because they have so much, and you can drink them. The Semillon is one of those wines that sort of overnight, about the two or three year mark, flips over to a completely different flavor profile. But when it's young screamingly acidic and super fresh it is uh, quite a treat to have that with asparagus and uh, you can do that this spring in vancouver because you have the barche brothers or the clos de soleil semillon that you can serve with uh, a simple asparagus dish casey what, what what is the sauce the classic sauce is uh uh it's not bechamel but that no. you would put on uh, asparagus you could put hollandaise. cheese or there's another sauce hollandaise, hollandaise. there hollandaise thank you very much one. Yeah, so they work well with that. Back to spaghetti. What, would you ever yeah. put white wine in a spaghetti sauce? I came across a recipe last week that had white wine. I just couldn't do it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I would put it with, you know, spaghetti vongole, like with clams, that sort of thing. Yes, but, that makes uh, sense. 
I mean, you can put it in the sauce, but the problem is, or the issue or the challenge is that the sauce, the tomatoes are acidic, the wine is acidic, so you're just intensifying the acid there. Uh, so that you may not need that. Uh, red wine maybe a little lower in, a, in acid. You can, you know, would be a better choice. But uh, uh, spaghetti sauce is another one of those things. It's kind of, it's not really about the sauce. It's about the flavors, right? So yes. let's say it's a mushroom. If it's a mushroom sauce or an umami-based sauce, then that's a really good sauce to have these these uh, something like a red fruited wine, like a Sangiovese. That's why it works so well with those. Uh, you know, the the mushrooms temper that. Otherwise, if it's just a tomato sauce and a Sangiovese, again, you have the acid-acid thing going on. So you, you want to look at some of this stuff when you're, when you're serving. Uh, this is particularly true. People always talk about curries and that. Well, it's how hot is that curry and yes. what is it? You know, what, what makes it hot and how can you temper that? Why are margaritas so good with, with uh, you know, Thai curries salsa. Or, or salsas? You know, yeah, of course, they're sweet margaritas, basically, and yes. they temper it. Riesling, beer, richer, chocolate. Uh, you know, people have uh, a port wine or, a, uh, you know, a, usually a baked Zinvendel with chocolate. So you've got, that's a, that's sort of a sweet, sweet thing going on. You can go that way, too. Uh, so there's many ways to do it. A tough one, and I know you love this, Casey, is uh, brunch. Exactly. Eggs. eggs at brunch. I love brunch. And yeah. I don't know. You just know. drink sparkling wine. That's right. And don't mix it with <laughs> orange juice. Well, you can mix it. Just don't mix champagne with orange juice. Buy the cheapest well, sparkling I wine. Well, I say have the I say have orange juice separate and then and have sparkling wine. I wouldn't mix them. Yeah. First of all, okay. They're using really, you know, low Really low price sparkling wine. I'm trying to think. I don't want to mention any names, but that's what I object to. <laughs> I want a decent okay. sparkling no wine. No names used. And decent orange Again, juice. I, I, I go back to this theory of, okay, eggs and brunch. Well, let's say, let's say you have sausage in those eggs, like chorizo. Then you can go Spanish red. If they're cheesy, if it's a richer style omelet, you can go with an oak chardonnay. But these are things that... These are not things that you, someone tells you and it works. These are things for you, you to explore to okay. for the next 20 years. We have 30 seconds left. One of the toughest are vinaigrettes. Okay. So what yeah. should you do when you're, like, you're making a salad? and Make a less acidic one. You tell me how. Well, I think instead of, uh, of a vinegar, a white vinegar, use a rice vinegar or orange juice. It rounds out the flavors. And add mm -hmm. fruits, nuts, or cheese, and then it's perfect. Yeah, uh, like I'm an olive oil guy, but <clears throat> you know my yes. my wife Sheila, who's a terrific cook, she says, "Well, every night, you know, uh, can't we have a vinaigrette?" And and I said, "Well, it kills the wine." She says, "Well," and so she started experimenting over the years, and we have lots of vinaigrettes now that are balanced. Yes, and uh, they they taste fantastic, and they don't kill the wine. So, and you know, Tony, it's not the be all end all. Yeah, I, tell us the absolute <laughs> worst matching wine to match food that's difficult which is anything that is smoked yeah forget it kills the wine right <laughs> well the problem with smoked is that the definition of smoke my definition of smoke and your definition of smoke are two different things i've been to a hundred meals you know luncheons menus where everything was lightly smoked lightly smoked guess what it just way too much yes that's it we're out of time casey 
Let's go. Ho- let's go out and have lunch and match some food and wine. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Uh, always a pleasure to have you. Really enjoyed that. Uh, you've been listening to the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. We hope you have a great weekend. I'm Tony Gismondi. I'm Casey Wilson. See you next week. That's it for today's show. Tune in again next week for Anthony Gismondi and Casey Wilson on the BC Food and Wine Radio Network. Presented in part by Wines of British Columbia at Savon Foods. BC Food and Wine Radio is a TKS West production. Executive producer, Casey Wilson.